0: Get ready to open the doors to new worlds, to laugh, to cry, to be inspired beyond measure. Screen Pass starts now. Screen Pass, the podcast about American football in pop culture. I'm Sheehan and with me as always is the man who's just trying to make some money off this thing, Justin Barber. How you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing good, Sheehan. How are you? I am great. It is Friday afternoon here. It is not long till I finish for the weekend. I am Ooh. so keen to be back in the studio talking Screen Pass.
1: Absolutely. Me too. This is the first one. So it's the evening for you and it's morning for me. So this is the first time during Screen Pass recording where I've had a cup of coffee and you've had a beer. We've we've both had beers at times, <laughs> but I don't think we've ever done this. I mean, I'm not like waking up. I've been up for several hours, but um it's still that morning, that morning arena, that morning haze. Yeah, that's interesting. We'll see how it goes.
0: I don't know. I still have the coffee cup from the podcast I recorded this morning on my desk. It's a two-cast day for me. Ooh, all right. I'm uh, I'm coming in hot. I'm coming in warmed up. But uh, please don't (laughs) take that as an endorsement of the quality of show you are about to hear. (laughs) We're doing something a bit different this episode. It's not the first time we've read a book, but it'll probably be the first time we release a podcast about a book. Yes. We've talked about our favorite literary characters before. That's an awesome episode. Go back and check that out. But uh, you're a big book guy. What are you reading at the
1: moment? I am a big book guy. And it's funny because you mentioned the other podcast. We actually did record a podcast. It's our famous unreleased podcast of a book where, I mean, (laughs) honestly, if, if we're being honest, it was just a slog fest through that thing. It was like, it, it probably is not a good podcast, but, um, this is, I think our first book full book podcast. We did do the literary ones before. Uh, we made the literary football team, which was fun. So much fun. I'm a big book guy. I, I like to read a lot. Um, I'm always reading something. At the moment, I'm reading the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. Nice. Yeah, it's good. Um, I don't know. A lot of people probably have read it. It's apparently Stephen King's like magnum opus. It's eight novels, and I'm on book number four. So I'm about... 1500 pages into this right now. Halfway there. Yeah, I'm about halfway there. So it's it's good. It's a, um it's got a lot of genres in it. It's like a dark fantasy, science fiction, horror, western. Personally, I'm not the biggest Stephen King fan. Yep. And I don't I don't know why. I mean, I think maybe it's because there's a lot of success in the film arena, like I love the movie The Shining and, you know, Pet Cemetery, and all those movies were great. I'm not going to be like a hipster. And say, like, one of the most recognized authors in history, <laughs> like, one of the best uh, storytellers who single handedly defined and shaped a genre is not good because he is good. Stephen King is a good author. I don't think that that's disputed, but he has a very simplistic way of describing things. It's very, very yeah. simple, but it paints of a clear picture. I tend to gravitate more towards the authors that you can kind of tell are writing. Like Neil Gaiman, like he he like paints a picture with words. Mm-hmm. It's like you kind of develop the story with them. Ray Bradbury or like I said, Neil Gaiman's my favorite. So yeah, so but the so far Dark Tower series has been great. I really enjoyed it. How about you? Are you reading anything at the moment or
0: yeah I'm reading a book that To be honest, I'm not really enjoying, but I do most of my reading before I go to sleep at night. So I don't want something that's going to keep me awake. I want something that I'm happy to read, but if like when I put it down, I put it down. I'm not thinking about it, which we'll come to when we talk about this book we talked about, but I'm currently reading. It's called Nipper Reed, the man who nicked the craze. Now, Hmm. I don't know. Are you familiar with Ronnie and Reggie Cray? I am not. They made the movie Legend a few years ago with Tom Hardy playing both of these twin brothers. They were East end London gangsters in like the 1950s, 60s. Basically they were just fucking thugs, uh, ran protection rackets, but they were like the Kings of crime in London. They're super famous. There's other than Jack the Ripper, they would be the most famous London criminals. Oh, wow. Same part of London, East London over there. It's not really an interest of mine. Generally. Mm. But I enjoy uh, historical nonfiction, narrative nonfiction, which this is. Uh, it's his autobiography. And you know it's it's interesting enough, it's compelling enough, but by the same token, I'm, you know, I'm not married to the genre or anything like that. So I'm probably about 70 percent uh, of the way through it, which is which is nice. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. And, um, yeah, well, I know well, I know what happens. I've seen the movie, and everyone knows they. Died in jail, and Nipper Reed died of COVID in 2020. So, no, no uh, kidding. Shout out to Nipper Reed, who, after he retired, became chairman of the British Boxing Council.
1: Hmm. There's a lot of lot of facts in there to unpack. Well, that sounds interesting. Interesting. Yep. And you said it's fiction; it's not nonfiction.
0: No, it's uh, it's narrative nonfiction. Gotcha. So it's it's his autobiography. I read another book recently called Say Nothing, which is about the troubles in Ireland. Incredible, incredible. Best book I've read for a very long time. Centres around, you know, the central figures within the IRA uh, during the troubles. It is very much a one-sided perspective. I'm not saying that's biased, but it is one side of the story. Uh, But again, very, very interesting in the way the guy tells these disparate stories then weaves them into each other. Very, very good. One of the best books I have read for a long time. Right on. Very cool. So the book we read was called Don't Know Tough. It's the first novel by a guy called Eli Cranor. That's C-R-A-N-O-R. It was published in March 2022. So pretty new for a book. Uh, yeah. He's got a pretty interesting story. I know we talked about getting him on the show. I'd still like to because he was a, like a high school quarterback, then he coached, and now he's a writer. His blog is online. It's very interesting. His personal reflections of life, family, football. I think if you're a fan of this show, you'll probably appreciate his writing.
1: No, I agree. Um, and he he seems like a cool guy. I've, I've seen a couple interviews with him just doing research for this. He looks like he could be a football player, but he's soft-spoken. Dude has an epic beard. Just yep. epic beard. So he played football his whole life from ages 9 to 29. And he played in Kansas, which... You know, it's it's a little bit of a different vibe if, if you're from North America or you're outside American country like Southern football is very ingrained into the culture, even in high school, yeah. like the whole town sometimes goes Friday night football. And he became a head coach at 26 and he said it was just way too young. He said these towns, these smaller towns in places like Kansas, they look at you like you're the mayor or the sheriff. Yeah. <laughs> And he said in many ways, the we'll get into it, but one of the co-main characters in this, it Trent powers is a coach. And Trent he said a lot powers. of Trent powers who I don't imagine talking like that. Imagine talking <laughs> like Trent <laughs> powers. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So, uh, Eli Craner, he teaches high school English in Arkansas and he wrote this book during his lunch break based on his experience. So, uh pretty cool pretty cool stuff
0: yeah no he he seems like a really interesting dude we've talked about getting people on the show before who've had something to do with the content that we've talked about and i think he's got a really interesting story to tell and i think he'd appreciate what we're going for here anyway stay tuned for that episode down the line potentially now don't know tough itself usually when we do a movie or a tv show we kind of run through the plot i think we can probably do that a little bit here but for the sake of it i mean it's a noir novel so we don't want to necessarily give away the ending or anything like that right i mean we will inevitably inevitably talk about it with spoiler warnings because i think you know it's important to discuss the themes and motifs of the book in relation to the ending but uh, the synopsis is this and that's in denton arkansas the fate of a high school football team rests on the shoulders of a volatile but talented running back and a born-again christian head coach who has just moved from california with his wife and daughters. The description on Goodreads goes into a bit more detail about the main characters, but that's that's kind of the bulk of it is the story of a couple of games, a couple of, it, I think it's probably set over about two, three weeks, maybe a month.
1: Yeah, yeah, if that. Yeah, if that. Yeah, and I've seen a lot of times the book described as Friday Night Lights meets Southern Gothic, which yes. I think is a is a pretty good description of it. You know, you have that Southern football ingrained culture with a very Gothic or, you know, I think it's probably, would you say that it's, um, would you say it's Gothic or like Southern noir? I feel like it maybe has a little more of a noir feel for me.
0: So I have, this as one of my talking points because I think Southern noir is made up. I think it's either a noir novel or a Southern Gothic, Gothic novel. I think it's probably both. Now, if you're not familiar with the Southern Gothic genre, you probably, I found out that I was more familiar with it than I think I realized. Same. It it says here, it's a literary genre that originated in the early 20th century, often associated with the work set in the American South, duh. It's characterized (laughs) by its dark, grotesque, and atmospheric themes, as well as elements of supernatural or macabre. Some common features of the Southern Gothic literature include uh, brooding, eerie atmosphere, uh, grotesque characters, you know, flawed, eccentric, mentally disturbed characters, um, people with a past, people with a past they certainly don't want to talk about, people, you know, hard scrabble people basically. Yep. You know, the Southern culture and history and, and everything, all the issues of the South. So, you know, Christianity, racism, uh, racial inequality, social inequality, poverty all of those things that you associate with the South, I guess, fairly or unfairly. And then as we talked about, you know, the supernatural elements of it as well. So do you have any favorite Southern Gothic fictional pieces, I guess?
1: Yeah, I would say that I do, you know, just to kind of jump back on that, you know, I I always kind of look at, you know, either Gothic or noir tend to, typically circle around some sort of sinister event and usually violence is involved with it. Gothic is almost always tragic and it's a lot of times it's describing uh, I always look at it like it's describing darkness as a normal part of society whereas noir is kind of more psychological and darkness that kind of comes in to a situation so with this I think it borders the line of both Yeah. And I do think it's interesting that you said fairly or unfairly because the American South has one of the most stereotypes, I think, in maybe one of all the locations of the world. Like people really have an idea of the South. I think it comes a lot from the Civil War, a lot with the Confederacy and the North a lot of times putting their ideals on it. I mean, there is that stuff down there. I mean that you'll, you'll find racist issues. You'll find this religion ingrained in things even to a point where it's not necessarily um, good, but at the same time, it's just like anywhere else. You know, I mean, the, I, I think the South has a lot of good to overall. There's a, a a strong basis on morality of just being friendly and polite and nice. So, um, I just want to throw that out there. Someone that lives on the Mason Dixon line, you know, the South has this weird kind of connotation of people like being rednecks and dumb and horrible, (laughs) but it's like, not like that at all. I mean, it's just, it's normal, like everywhere else. It's just, it's, uh, it's its own thing. Like
0: as we, as we talk about, it's the Southern vibe. And I, you know, by, no means in saying that everyone who lives south of uh south of Dixie is, you know, a redneck. Yep. But there's many, many threads that make up the tapestry of the south, basically. Yep. I, and I some of them
1: are more pleasant than others. Sure. That can just honestly be said for anywhere. And I think yeah, it's one just, just as much anywhere you'll find it in the south as in the north, as any other country, really. So
0: I think if we talk about Gothic literature generally, we're talking about You think of the classic Gothic monsters like Frankenstein, Dracula, Jekyll and Hyde, even into, you know, the works of Poe and Emily Dickinson and these sorts of things there. I guess the difference with the Southern Gothic is it's the people of the monsters. You know, those early Gothic works were explorations of the human experience through the form of supernatural monsters. You know, you have man and God in Frankenstein. You have the idea of sexuality and homosexuality with Dracula the constant struggle between man and animal or man and beast within the same person in Jekyll and Hyde. And I guess you have all those. That's why you have Southern Gothic. That's why it's called Southern Gothic. That's why it's not Southern fiction. And the reason I think Southern noir is bullshit is because it's just like, we all know noir. It's the hard-boiled detective. It's a tough world. As you say, it's people living in a dark world, but it just so happens that that is the South. It could be anywhere.
1: Yeah, agreed. You know, the reason I wanted to kind of go through that South conversation a little bit because when you get these Southern Gothic storybooks, it's always going to be the amplification of those things that are typically viewed as negative. And again, they exist, but it's not all that's there. It's and it's I wouldn't say it's certainly even most of what's there. When we go through it, I mean there's very there's some popular, very popular ones like to kill a mockingbird's Probably the most famous, you know, Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil. That one is also very, very popular. I have a few that I like. And as you said, I almost didn't know how many fell into this once I started pulling it out. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's Southern Gothic. Oh, yeah, that's Southern Gothic. I've mentioned before on here, Boy's Life. By Robert yep. McCammon. I, I constantly try to push that anytime we talk about a book because it's such a good book. McCammon is really good at creating a story and also just beautifully, beautifully, beautifully putting words out there that paint a great picture. Devil All the Time, I think, by Donald Ray Pollock. Mm-hmm. That has a Southern Ohio and West Virginia. It's like the mixed culture of the poor in the South, uh, the misguided perception of religion, an environment where it's expected, but the people might not necessarily be holding those values. You know, it's just like they kind of use them against the people around them. And probably my favorite would be No Country for Old Men by Cormac yep. McCarthy. I'm a big fan of Cormac McCarthy. I wish he would use punctuation, but <laughs> besides, <laughs> besides that, I'm a big fan of all book. You know, The Road, All the Pretty Horses, all those are good books. If you want to jump into Cormac McCarthy, No Country for Old Men is, is a great place to
0: start. Yeah, absolutely. The one that jumped out to me, and I know you love this as well, and that's Preacher.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: The comic. That's Classic Southern Gothic, I think. So good. That was the one that really jumped out to me. The story of I've forgotten the guy's name.
1: Jesse Custer.
0: Jesse Custer, exactly. An ass face and Cassidy uh,
1: the vampire. Cassidy
0: <laughs> and all those all those fantastic characters. But even like you know his family's plantation. Yep. And everything like that. It is very gothic and it is fantastic. And that does explore supernaturalness the dark themes and the you know the south and people being welcoming people not being welcoming people having a past and nobody really caring about it strangers coming into town yeah absolutely in a sense southern gothic is kind of like the modern western
1: it's well put yeah the the west probably wasn't exactly like the westerns are but it definitely has a specific thing if there's a cowboy riding into town on a horse you know and he's he's looking for a bounty or he is the bounty you got yourself a western Southern Gothic's pretty much the same thing if it involves anything from that south with undertones of racial division as you say like the the religious aspect of it one of those things oftentimes that isn't spoken is the impact of sport and particularly football yes it, it's a such a big deal it's ingrained in a lot of these. These towns, especially these smaller towns, it's like, this is what you do. And football, you could be a football star and you can be a hero in these towns. You can mess up and people will hate you in these towns. And it's just such a wild cultural phenomenon how much people lean on it. And you'll see it in this book. It's like there are crimes and issues that happen that get brushed under the rug because they need this guy to play. And it's, yep. it's wild.
0: It is absolutely wild. So should we dive into some of the characters? Yeah, let's do it. There's two main characters in this. Yep. The first one we'll talk about is Billy Lowe. The book's told in from two perspectives. One of it is the omnipresent narrator and the other is first person from Billy Lowe's perspective. And he is the aforementioned volatile but talented running back, lives with his mother, his mother's boyfriend, his little brother in a trailer park, the outskirts of Denton. Worth noting, Denton is unincorporated territory.
1: Yeah, I didn't know that. So there is a Denton, Arkansas, but essentially for this book, it's made up. There's a Wikipedia article on it and it just has one line that says, Denton, Arkansas was a village in Lawrence County. It's currently uninhabited. The only remains are the Bethel Cemetery where former residents were buried. I did see one report that said that there's 300 people in Denton. I'm not sure if that's true, but that's less than my high school graduating class, if it, if it is. So it's essentially uninhabited.
0: According to the same Wikipedia article, the last inhabitants moved away in 1979. A guy called Everett Moore yeah. and his wife, Loma Moore. Everett Moore, a blue linker on Wikipedia. So Ooh. good for him. And in terms of towns of very small people, my mum lives in a town of less than 350 people in the outback of Western Australia. The actual area she lives in is her house and another house in this locale. So it is like the middle of nowhere. And you're right, it is desert as far as the eye can see, but the footy field in town, cricket in summer, footy in winter, green. It's the only green around is this this (laughs) footy field.
1: That's awesome. Like see it from space. (laughs) I do not recommend going
0: to Darren. Shout out to mum if she's listening. So we have Billy Lowe, Tina Lowe, his mother. Uh, Travis Rodney, his mother's boyfriend, Jesse Lowe, Billy's older brother who doesn't live with him. He lives in a different trailer, in maybe a different trailer park, maybe a different part of a trailer park yeah. with his girlfriend, Cresha, and what might be Billy's son, Stephen. Yep. Yeah. Oh, hang on. It was Stephen their brother? Who knows? It might be yeah. Billy's son, whatever it is. He's pretty sure it isn't, but Cresha is pretty sure that it
1: is. Or at least uses that against him, both the brother and- Creasy used that against Billy Lowe.
0: Yeah. And she was like, like head cheerleader and dropped out when she got pregnant. I don't know if she was sort of getting Aaron Donald style double teamed by the Lowe brothers.
1: That's what it sounds like. Yeah. That's kind of the impression I got as well. was <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, well, it
0: could have been either of you.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. She was definitely sleeping with both at the same time, but maybe not actually. The same time, but same time period.
0: I don't have a brother. I don't have a sister either. But um, probably not an activity I'd want to engage. No. In with my with my brother.
1: Yeah, you have um, you have brothers and you have Eskimo brothers. You don't want them to be the same person. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and the other the other main characters, there are a bunch of ancillary people in the town. I didn't bother to write them up. You know, there's the assistant the assistant football coach, the school principal, like the sheriff, the deputy sheriff, the random trucker who bangs his mom. But the other main characters are Trent Powers, a born-again Christian head coach of the Denton Pirates, drives a Prius, comes up all the time.
1: They mention the Prius a lot. A lot. It's definitely a pain point.
0: His wife, Marley Powers. Marley
1: Powers. (laughs) Marley Powers.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And Lorna Powers, his daughter who goes to school with Billy Price. Their son, Austin Powers, who is an international man of
1: mystery. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) baby. (laughs)
0: no there is another there's like a baby daughter ava but she doesn't get a lot of play
1: no they don't really talk it's more just the plot point to interrupt conversations baby cries quite a bit
0: i think we've already mentioned the names in this are terrible but like billy lowe's fine tina lowe's travis rodney though when have you met somebody surnames rodney i know
1: Travis Rodney yeah they it's like all of them have power names even to the point where Trent Powers is named Powers I Trent couldn't powers, take it seriously ultimate power name
0: to begin with because the episode of The Simpsons where Homer changes his name to Max Power he yes. becomes friends with Trent whatever his name is I was like was he watching is he watching The Simpsons? Yeah, 100%, not the same thing. I also thought that Marley Powers should be his daughter and Lorna Powers should be
1: his wife. The names sound, it makes more sense for the time frame, I guess. But uh, I don't know. With that said, I mean, that's <laughs> It doesn't really matter. They could be called yeah.
0: Captain Cockwash and um, Johnny Dickhead. It doesn't really matter in the it doesn't context. doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, this is not a Saturday Night Live sketch with one joke. <laughs> <laughs> but uh,
1: Billy Lowe, solid name.
0: Yeah. That's a solid name. I originally wrote him down in my notes as Billy Price and then realized I was talking about, I think he plays inside, offen- like interior offensive line for the Bengals.
1: Yeah. That's he awesome. plays right guard he or got something. Fo- football on the head.
0: <laughs> I did indeed. So I hated all the characters in this book absolutely hated all of them
1: i hated them i hated them so much it was such a hard book
0: to read and i hated everyone in it
1: you mentioned that the book jumps around from perspective and essentially we get two perspectives we get billy lowe's perspective and we get coach power's perspective the billy lowe portion is written in a southern urban dialect which can straight up be challenging to read like literally reading it can be challenging.
0: How do you feel about that when you get that in a book and it's written in like pidgin English or Creole or something like that?
1: Have you ever read any other books like that? Clockwork Orange? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, I started reading like um, Irvine Welsh when I was a teenager, like transpotting oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that Scottish dialect. I mean, he doesn't hold back. He is like full on Scottish slang.
0: One of my good mates is Scottish and speaks Scots. Yep. And if I haven't spoken to him for a while, it takes me a moment to get back in the groove of how he talks.
1: Yeah. You're like, what are you, are you what are you even saying? Is that English? Is it? And then there's also this book, Pigmy, by Chuck Palahniuk. Mm-hmm. That whole thing is written in broken English. And I'm going to be straight up. Like I respect Chuck Palahniuk. I love what he does. I respect that he did a book in broken English, but I absolutely hated it. I couldn't even finish it. I have buddies that are like, no, you have to do this. And maybe I should revisit it, but it was just, it was too much to get through. And so you have this in this book. So you can expect that it's not as bad as train spotting or pygmy, but it's kind of in that same vein. Expect it going into it. If you read it.
0: I like to think I'm a, I'm a pretty good reader. Like I'm, I'm good at reading. I read quite quickly. I was having to like, not quite sound it out, but really think my way through Billy's chapters. And it made it hard to read both in like a practical hard to read. But also being in his mind was a horrible place. Oh yeah. The story is basically he lives with his mother and his mother's boyfriend, Travis Rodney. Travis is horribly abusive. Yeah. Beats the shit out of Billy. Uh, is abusive to his own kid. Like early on, he's talking about his little brother was crying, and Travis Rodney put him out in like the dog pen yep. outside. And originally, I thought little brother was like a dog because I'm pretty sure there is a dog called Little Brother in Mulan. Yeah. But it turned out it was actually his little brother. Yeah. But this guy's a piece of shit. He's like groping his mum in front of him. He, the catalyst that it opens with is he's put a cigarette out on him. Yeah. And it was it's like difficult to read emotionally in this guy's mind and you feel the hate coming through. He doesn't say the guy's name. Just calls him him or his. Yep. He's like Voldemort.
1: Yeah. There's a couple things with that. Number one, I it's funny. Cause I do remember when I was young, I had someone who will not be named. Their mother had a boyfriend and this person absolutely hated the boyfriend and never referred to the boyfriend by the name. It was always him. And I'd be like, who him? And they're like, you know, him that kind of came about like I re- remembered that reading this book and it becomes a, a talking point in the book. The guy wants Billy to say his name and he refuses to do it. But the interesting part is the cigarette burn on the neck. Eli Craner said that that's essentially what inspired the book as a coach. He took a player home who had a cigarette burn on his neck and he never asked him what happened. And he, he said he always wished he had. And so mm-hmm. that, the line in the book that says, I still feel the burn on my neck, Eli said was the inspiration for the whole first chapter that he wrote. And thus the book came from there.
0: His descriptions are very vivid and they're very visceral. Yep, The cigarette burn and just the, the total mistreatment of the guy. It's hard to read. And I remember you saying this about The Last of Us, where you'd go through a horrible passage and then it would be kind of chill. And the book felt like that because it had snap you out of that into the kitchen of the Powers family or the office or something like that. And it was a totally different world. And it was written slightly differently, but it was very hard to read.
1: I agree. And you're right. There were moments where it snapped you out when you're thrust back into the book. Every person in this book, every single person made the worst decision you could possibly make in whatever circumstance they were in. And you're watching this happen over and over and over again. And it was somewhat exhausting. You're like, oh, come on. Like, you wanted to shake every single character in this book.
0: Yeah, be like, can you shut the yeah. fuck up? Like. yeah. <laughs> right. Oh my just, God.
1: Right. Just go home, just sit down <laughs> and go home. But no, they're like, I'm going to uh, do the worst thing. Like someone hands them a fork and they're like, I don't know. Maybe I stick it in this light socket. And you're like, what, what are you doing? <laughs> and, again, like, and then I felt electricity go through me. You're like, why, why is this happening again? That didn't happen in the book, by the way. It's much more complicated than that.
0: I think there are two really uncomfortable scenes within the book. I found hard to read. One of them is when Lorna is out with Billy yes, and she gets naked and you are pretty sure she is going to be assaulted. The other is Billy takes Lorna to his brother's trailer. And again, you are pretty sure she's going to be assaulted. Now, I am glad that that didn't happen. It did feel a little bit baity and I suppose that's the kind of point of it but I'm glad he didn't cross the line. I'm, gra- I'm glad he didn't really fridge her in the way that can sometimes happen with female characters.
1: Yeah. I felt that those overtones happen throughout the, the book of just expecting something to happen that's bad. And I think that that's benefit to the author and could also be a negative to the book. I mean, In the sense, like, there's multiple times where I thought people were going to die. And I agree with you. Those two moments were, I think, the most jarring just because the daughter was more of an innocent. She's from California and she doesn't, it's almost like she lives in a bubble and- She's just, oh, well, let's get naked and go skinny dipping. And then she's put in this situation where it's like you can feel that tension rising. I mean, at first I thought she might be dead. And then it's like, okay, we go we go right from her almost being dead to the setup being that these guys are going to assault her. And, you know, again, it spoiler alerts, but it, it does work out. But you get that tension throughout the whole book and. If I'm being honest, at some points, I felt like I just needed a relief from it. Yes. So it, I, I felt it might be a little bit too much because it was almost over and over and over again. You go from one thing to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing.
0: You have that dramatic irony, a sense of you see the whole thing from Billy's perspective and from the third person perspective, and you know that nothing's happened with her and Billy, but obviously all the evidence points to Billy having done something to her or taken advantage of when really it's the other way around. But- yeah, yeah. She leads him on, and you know, she's kind of being free spirit Cali girl, and he's like, Can you chill the fuck out, please? And he only sort of goes with her to to protect her. Yep. It's like he's aware of the world around him that she is ignorant of or willfully ignorant of.
1: And that yeah, that's very true. It's very true. The author does a good point of painting the contrast between California is just used as a modern metropolitan progressive area. And then going to the South is where they are. And you really do see that contrast primarily through this daughter. That's where the contrast is. She is in a modern area where she feels safer. Uh, Mm -hmm. She feels like she can be aggressive. She can, you know, I say what I want kind of attitude. I, I do what I want kind of attitude. And it's not in a negative attitude way. She's not like, you know, she doesn't have a bad attitude, but it's that idea of almost liberation of women. And then the culture where they're at is like, no one, including Billy, can say what they want here. No one can do what they want here. There's so There could be severe consequences around every corner. So you kind of have to watch what you say and what you do. And it was, a, it was well, well described and well painted.
0: Yeah. They went a long way with that contrast between the two of them. Like you say for context, the powers family take Billy in or, or Trent takes Billy in after Billy runs away from home. And, you know, he's obviously a bit of a fish out of water in the house that, you know, the nice fancy house compared to the trailer. And he sort of forms a relationship with the daughter. it's never, I mean, I get the impression that she is trying to upset her parents, but it's never really sort of reciprocated. I think he, she, he finds her attractive, but he never really makes a move. Yep. Or he's not like, oh, my God, she's so hot. And a lot of the other guys that he's at school with, he's sort of, in some senses, he's a very, he's very childish, but in others, he's sort of forced to be the man in his own story because his father has left. And I guess there's an interesting dichotomy there within the story. So that you know that's how they come to become friends. And let me ask you this: there's an ongoing theme of him reading The Old Man and the Sea.
1: Yep.
0: And as I was reading it, I was like, "Well, this is obviously symbolic of something." What was your impression of that? What do you, what did you think that was a reflection of within the story?
1: Yeah, I definitely thought that it was brought up to have parallels. I didn't see the parallels as direct in the story? I
0: guess it's, well, I was going to say, I guess it depends on who you see as the old man and who you see as the fish. That's a good point. I, on reflection, felt that it was an allegory for Trent's pursuit of Billy because Trent is a born again, Christian. It goes through. He was in and out of foster care. He got adopted by Marley's father, uh, who was the high school football coach. Trent was the star player. So he was put in a similar position to Billy and then he was living in the house and Marley fucked him and then they got pregnant almost immediately. Yep. So they have a baby and a kid who's like 16 or 17 and have been together since then. It's a very much a shotgun relationship yep. in the sense that none of them are really happy or neither of them are really happy. But uh, Marley's family, the, the high school football coach was a Christian and, uh, Trent as a result became like a hardcore born again Christian because he he saw it as having saved his life.
1: And in parallel he wanted to do for Billy what was done for him. And exactly. You know, so he kind of goes through that same process of like Coach Powers wife's dad brought him yep. in, saved him, gave him a religion that helped him sort out his life. And there's still stuff in Coach Powers that you can see from his past they kind of affect him. Like he he doesn't have it sorted out and he's trying to put something on Billy Lowe that I guess he just doesn't realize is a different type of person. It's a different scenario. It's a different everything. Yes. But he's trying to force that onto him. And Billy
0: sees him as just the coach doesn't understand, lived a different life. And I think he starts to realize like Trent sort of opens himself up either deliberately or not deliberately. And Billy starts to realize that actually there are kind of layers to this guy that maybe he's not this, I don't know about you. I sort of pictured him as like a, I say a Cliff Kingsbury type. Yep. But really I was kind of picturing Andy from the fantasy footballers uh, as that kind of guy. And like, I don't know. Do you know a lot of born again Christians?
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I my, my faith is Christian if I were to, so, I mean, I think that it's an interesting scenario because you look at Christianity is an easy mark and it's an easy mark in the sense that people put unrealistic expectations on people that are Christians and it, it's happened throughout history. It makes sense because you look to these leaders and then they screw up and they have an affair or they do this or they do this. And it's like, if your neighbor did it, not a big deal, but it's easy to be like, well, this guy's a Christian. He's supposed to be better. He's supposed to be this. And I think that does play into Coach Powers. I don't know if Eli Craner is a Christian or follows the faith. My assumption from reading this book is that he he was, and that I think Coach Powers falls into that Southern Gothic element of feeling maybe a, a superiority or people expecting a superiority of him because of his faith. And then Coach Powers obviously falling short.
0: I don't know if it's necessarily just a Southern Gothic thing, but your born again Christians tend to go a little bit harder than the people who've grown up in the religion. Mm. And there's there's probably reasons for that. And as we talk about with uh, Kenny Powers here, that's that's his faith, that's what saved him, that sort of thing. And then you know, I, I think of an example in my own life of someone I know who's a born again Christian. She's taken it upon herself to you know spread the good word and she's working as a missionary. Mm-hmm. Like good for her, not not really my go. But that's the that's the impression you get from from Trent Powers is that like he feels that it's in it's incumbent on him to save other people, and I think it's grating on his wife, who's probably grown up in that environment. And you end up with this. It's not quite a white savior complex because you know most of the characters in this are are white, but it is that. I'm from California. I know better. It's, yep. you know, there's a, a sheriff coming in town to clean up the West. Yeah. And So he's driven to do that. And I think that's where it relates to the old man in the sea is that it's his pursuit of Billy. Yep. And he goes and he goes and he goes, and it is a fruitless struggle for him. And when he gets there, he's rewarded with, you know, the skill, you know, the, the metaphorical skeletal remains of this boy in, in one sense or another.
1: I don't know if the author had this intent, but how I viewed it is him trying to save Billy is him saving himself. It's a, it's like that analogy of, well, I if I save him and in, in reflecting his own life onto this child. And yep. you know, it's just it life doesn't work that way. And so I, I think the book has a good process of laying that out.
0: Yeah, definitely. Like it's definitely interesting and it's quite heavy handed in its symbolism, I suppose a bit like the old man in the sea, but it, you know, that's part of Billy's journey as well is that he's, you know, I don't, I think he said he's never, like never read a book before.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's the first one he tackles is old man in the sea.
0: Now it's been a little bit of time since we've actually recorded one of these and I had totally forgotten that we do challenge flags and best football play, but What did you think was the best football play in this story?
1: There's only one actual football play moment in the book where Billy Lowe is just scoring all these touchdowns and, you know, they're telling him to, like, back off, trying to teach him gamemanship and he won't stop. But they do tell a story about his older brother, Jesse Lowe. And that is my favorite football moment. Apparently, Jesse Lowe threw a football
0: Threw the football over those hills.
1: <laughs> yeah. He threw it to himself. He threw yep. a touchdown pass to himself. And it reminded me of that Marcus Mariota against the Chiefs yep. in 2017. If you haven't seen it, definitely go to YouTube. I remember watching this one live and yes. Marcus Mariota's running. He's, he gets the ball and he starts taking off down the field he throws the ball into the end zone, and I think it was uh, Reed from the Chiefs jumped up, yep, and it bounces off him. And Mariota catches it, does this amazing dive in the corner, and like hits the pylon and gets the touchdown. It's the only football time I've ever seen a, a football player throw himself a pass. It's a great play. It's awesome. I think Joe Burrow did one too in Ohio. Not as nice, but still pretty
0: cool. Tom Brady tried to do it as well. Um, I think he caught one of his own passes. Did he? There was like a like a Brad starts with a G who did it once. I think even for Tampa Bay. Yeah. But yeah, that was it. He threw himself the pass. There's another moment in it, I think, where like he's again, they're up at the end and he like mows over. Yeah half the team to score a touchdown. I was picturing like Derrick Henry. That's exactly you seen what the I the footage thought? of Derrick Henry playing against high school kids where he's like 400 <laughs> yards a game. I was getting that sort of vibe.
1: Yeah, it, it's an interesting point in the book because, I mean, Billy Lowe, he values toughness over it. At- Everything. I mean, there's even a funny quote in the book where he's like, I hate the Chargers. They're the soft. I hate the Chargers. They're the softest looking team in the league. That baby yep. blue, like, you know, the Latin and bolt is so soft. And he, so he <laughs> he like values toughness over everything. And the in this football scene, they're just crushing the other team yep. and the coach and everyone else is like, all right, well, we're going to set our starters and just play secondary yep. the other teams play their secondary team and billy Lowe just can't take it he doesn't get it he's like i need to score more i need and he's just barreling through these second tier team with like yep. reckless abandonment and, and like people don't even like it they're like booing him they're like stop this is yeah and, and billy Lowe can't understand why
0: it's pretty hardcore seeing that because again that's one of those moments you're like oh my god kid Like, very early on, he beats up another player on his own team. Yep. Totally fucks the kid up. And to be fair, the kid probably had it coming, although maybe not to that extent. Yeah. But it is, it's so hard to read. Like, you're on edge reading it. Because the worst part about it is, if you see that on TV, you can just see it and turn away. When it's in your own mind, it's so much worse. Right. It's like when you see a word printed, but they don't print the actual swear word. And it's like, you've made me think what that word is. Yeah. You didn't say it, but you made me think it's the John Mulaney bit about a word we're not going to say on the show. And I was surprised it didn't come up in the book.
1: Yeah. <laughs> That's why I like reading so much. I, I think yeah. reading, you can watch things on film, and there's been some times in film where I've cringed and I've had obviously an emotional response, but I think there's nothing more powerful than your own mind. When you're reading yep. something, you'll paint that picture in your head as extreme as it, it'll impact you more emotionally than someone else's interpretation and you're right points to this book you're like please stop stop beating this kid like sit down after he does this run through he gets pissed off and tries to like storm off and you're like billy for the love of god just stop Chill <laughs> please. The fuck out, man. yeah exactly
0: just i've had an impromptu challenge flag here before we go into a a little bit of a question. And that's nice. his mum breastfeeding them for so long. Like it comes up later. And I was like, oh my God. It was like until he was eight or something, this kid was breastfed. Cause like they're, I'm sure this, this happens. And like, who are we to judge? There was no other food. So like, just going to keep breastfeeding.
1: I think that's what it was. That's my impression yeah. too. Yeah. You're right. That was like awful. Cause I think the brother- I think he's like five or something and he's breastfeeding or it's just like yep. something like that. And then she's like, why breastfed you longer? And it's like, Oh, come on. And they're talking about the visual of it. Like the kid's basically like walking up to the boob. You know yep. what I mean? Like and it's,
0: ugh. I'm firmly of the belief is that if you can ask for it, you're too old for it. Uh, yeah. But yeah, as I say, it's one of the, uh, I mean, the grapes of Roth, another fantastic, I guess it's Southern noir. Mm. Well, it's southern gothic i probably not quite southern gothic maybe that that obviously ends with a man being breastfed as well uh but that you know that's the necessity of it and maybe that was a, a parallel to that fantastic work by steinbeck let me ask you a question before we go into another discussion here and you can be as nebulous about it as you want whether we want to go into spoilers or not did you see the ending coming because because the point of this whole book and we've kind of skirted around it is that Travis Rodney ends up dead. Mm. Billy's the main suspect, but no one ever really reports. He's kind of just disappeared. At one point they go to the caravan and he's like bloated in there and it's horrible. The imagery of it is disgusting. Was it a satisfying conclusion as to how Travis Rodney died and then a satisfying conclusion to the book as the whole?
1: So yes, with Travis Rodney dying that I found an interesting it's a, there's a twist to it. There's a twist to it. I found that part very interesting and I did find that satisfying. I think it took characters and themes that you thought were one thing and shifted them the other way. And I always liked that in a book. I was like, what? It shocked me. I will say I didn't really care for the full ending of the book just because it wrapped up so quick. And I felt like there was a lot of loose ends still at the end of the book. And so for me, that's not always a bad thing. If you like jump on a cliffhanger where you're trying to decide, well, is it this? Is it that? But there wasn't that deep retrospective at the end of the cliffhanger. It wasn't like I thought about, did the person take the job? Did they not? Did the person get married? Did they not? Did they fly home? Did they stay? It wasn't like an ending like that. I'm fine if a book kind of just stops abruptly with that. This just... I felt did stop abruptly. And there were things, questions of, is this person alive? Did this person make it? Did did these people go here? It was a little too sudden for me.
0: How about you? I liked where it was going. I don't know if I necessarily liked the actual sticking of the landing itself. Yeah. I, I think at the end, it appears to be going one way, and then there's like another twist in it. And I thought that was interesting but it was slightly implausible at the same time. Yep. And that was the issue. It was a bit sort of deus, deus ex machina at the end, and I was like, mm, all right, whatever. And it, it, it's not like it wasn't forecast. It's not like it wasn't foreshadowed, but it just was fine. Like sometimes you, you watch like a Poirot or Sherlock Holmes and you're like, I guess. Yep. And it was kind of that. But the actual conclusion to the book itself, the last chapter, I was I was fine with. I thought it could
1: have maybe used one more chapter. I don't need in a story to have everything spelled out for me. Again, you know, a lot of times I do like being able to imagine where things are going. I just felt like with this particular story, it would have been nice to just have a little more details on, on where things ended up. And you're right. It was a little bit like, is that happening? You know what I mean? There was a little bit of that to it too.
0: I felt it either could have ended with the true ambiguity of where it was going mm. or it could have, as you say, used another chapter. But it was sort of neither fish nor fowl in the end. We talked about if this was a, you know, a Netflix series
1: yeah, or a Netflix movie or something <laughs> yeah.
0: like that, who would we cast? Do you want to do your rating and then talk about casting?
1: Yeah, I mean, so with the rating, I will say this. I recommend this book. If if you yes. want to read a book and you need a book, I think that this is a good one. One that I may read again. I I don't know. Maybe I might read it again, but I definitely think it's worth a one read through. I would probably put this as a book goes. I would say third round. Yep. I enjoyed it. There's books that actually completely like blow me away and I've mentioned them before and in past ones like i went through the the red rising series recently that whole series just blew me away i couldn't put it down no insult to the author because i do i honestly do think it's a good book um but it's probably not at that level like you like I have to read but it is a yep. good read especially if you're into into football some of the negatives i i already mentioned here i felt that it it maybe took a little bit too much tension through it. I really could have used a little more up and down, maybe showing a little more of that contrast and bigger gaps between, you know, the poor and the comfortable and the tragedy of a situation, con- contrasting it with being outside that tragedy. But at the end of the day, particularly for an author's first book, I think he nailed it. I would say go get it. Third round is is solid.
0: Where we're talking about sort of the unrelentingness of it. It's sort of structured a bit like you could see a running back's game being structured. Mm. You know, some of the chapters are long some of the some of the Billy chapters are longer and then you get a break. You know, you have the long runs, you have the short runs. There's not a rhythm to it and I kind of liked that. I liked that he sort of took as long as he needed to tell the story of that chapter and move on. I'm going to say third round as well. I sort of undernar between second and third I think this is the best example of this that you would see. Mm. I really liked as a piece of Southern Gothic fiction. It's better than the other book we read by mile by it's better than a lot of other books I've read. If I'm totally honest, I don't think you're going to have people saying this is a classic. I would definitely recommend if you like football, if you like crime, if you like Southern Gothic, if you like Friday night lights, any of those things, read it. It's like 300 odd pages long. It's not very long at all. It's a beach read, but you wouldn't want to read it on holiday because it is so unrelenting. Agreed. It's the sort of book you might find in an airport, but they wouldn't sell it there because it is, you know, it's unrelenting. It is on a par with so many authors who probably sell a ton of books and it's probably better than them as well. Like it's better than, I don't know if you have Kindle Unlimited, but you'll often get like, oh, if you like this book, then you'll like all of these. And they all kind of look the same. It's better than that. It's better than a copycat fiction, but right. it's a work of genre fiction. This is, I am writing a Southern Gothic novel. These are the themes. I'm checking them off on a list. Right. I think this is as good as anything. Well, I think this is better than most of the things we've done on the show. I mean, you could argue, is this better than Attack of the Clones? In some ways it probably is.
1: Oh yeah. I would rank it higher than that in that sense. And it's weird because there's a lot of things that go into our rankings. We look at things like cultural impact. You know, the breadth of not only what we think, but what you, the listener, would think. Certain niches that you and I like. And again, you and I are readers. You've written books. I read every day. The books that I'm reading are the best authors in the world. And so when it comes into that play space of, okay, I read this book, I give it a third round, that's high, for a book. Mm-hmm. You know, I mentioned Stephen King, Stephen King's a first-round author, and you're looking yes. at someone just a few rounds later in this book, it's his first book and it's not to say that I don't have certain issues with it. I do, but that's anything I'm analyzing. Any movie, mm-hmm. any book that's that's what we do here. That's that's the job. So, um, (laughs) uh, so I, I definitely would recommend that you check it out if you're looking for a book and you like any of the things that Sheehan mentioned a second ago.
0: I I totally agree. So it's a third round from me. It's a third round from you. I think that's pretty good. Now, if we, or if Eli got approached by any of the numerous streaming services to make a movie of this, who would we, and he came to us, who would we recommend? Who would we cast in our version of this? Now, Ooh. let me ask you, what characters did you cast?
1: So I did Billy Lowe. I did the dad, Coach Powers. I did the daughter. Um, I have yep. a wife just because I threw that in there. Um, I wasn't really pressed on that. I feel like a lot of people can do that. I did uh, Mama Lowe and the abuse of stepdad.
0: Yep, I did the same as well. I did Billy, his mom. I did Travis Rodney, and then I did... Trent, Lorna, and Marley. That's good. Cool. So do, how, about, how about we start with uh, the two leads there? Like, who have you got for Billy?
1: So Billy was interesting because I kind of envisioned Billy a little bit different from the, from the get-go of the book. And then as the book went on, I, I kind of changed it. And just recently I watched the remake of White Men Can't Jump, and I mm-hmm. thought Jack Harlow would make a pretty good Billy Lowe. So if you don't yep. know who he is, he's a I mean essentially he's a TikTok rapper that's just gotten some a lot of fame recently. Um he opened for Portugal the Man, so he um you know he does have credentials and then he was in the remake as I mentioned of White Man Can't Jump. He's 6'3". He was born oh, in wow. Yeah, so he's tall guy. He was born in Kentucky, so he has that nice southern accent and he does have like these uh you know these, these gorgeous locks. But I think if you shave them and you have him go mean, I think he's a pretty good actor too. With that urban slang and the Kentucky drawl, I think, boom, I think he'd make a great Billy Lowe.
0: I think that's a, a great pick, an absolute great pick. I went for an actor you have probably not heard of. I hadn't heard of him until earlier today, but he kind of fit the mold of what I was looking for. And that is someone who the problem with this is really none of the people of Denton should be good looking. Mm-hmm. They should be all kind of like trashy or whatever. I went with a guy called Blake Draper. He's an Australian actor. He was on like everyone in Australia was on Neighbours. Uh, he was on in a show called Clickbait on Netflix. He's currently, he plays like the high school quarterback in a show called Prom Pact on Disney Plus. He's six foot two. He's the right age. He's built like a man. Because the the problem is if you look at the actors who are around the right age, they're all like these scrawny little pretty boys with big hair. And I think that's why Jack Arlo was an interesting pick for it. Yep. Because he's got a different sort of look to him. Like this is not a role for like a Chalamet or a Harry Styles or something like that. You need someone with a bit to him. That's why I thought this kid, Blake Draper, was was good. He's solidly built, stick a bit of an accent on him and like, You know, you can dirty him up a bit and it's not really going to hurt his image.
1: Yeah. No, I I hadn't heard of this actor, but I looked him up and then I did recognize him. And I do think that's a good pick. And you're right. We've talked about this in the past. I mean, it seems that the popular look for male fame right now is kind of that skinnier, that smaller, that look.
0: It's Kate Blanchett as Bob Dylan. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) Soft like the Chargers, as Billy Lowe would say.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah not manly men like us uh who have you got for do we want to go trent next sure who've you got for trent
1: powers trent powers so this was interesting i pulled a lot of people in here and i kind i have one and then i have a honorable mention mm-hmm. the guy that i ended up landing on who i didn't really envision while i was reading it but i couldn't quite get that guy chris pratt I mean, he's a nice guy. He's 6'2". He's ripped, but he's like nice. He's a Christian. I mean, he's at this point basically a Kennedy. He married married (laughs) Catherine, the governor's oldest daughter, and she's a Kennedy. So, I mean, I just think he has like the right look and the right attitude. When I look at Trent Powers, he seemed like a nice guy That could play football, but then also have have attitude. And I think Chris Pratt could pull off that like dark underbelly with a nice guy overtone.
0: I would wonder if he could play earnest enough Mm. and also dark past enough. Because he's like he's a quippy guy. And like I know he does knock off Indiana Jones in the Jurassic franchise. But he doesn't strike me as guy with a lot of depth.
1: I think that that's where he would be good because almost at this point he's kind of typecast. He's he he's yes. like typically the nowadays you look at him as Guardian of the Galaxies or Jurassic Park, which is kind of like the rip dude that has. It's a little quippy and funny. I think having that throughout, where he's just kind of a nice guy, honestly, a little soft. Like in, yep. in personality, I think if you switched him to going to dark, that would make for a really good character in that series.
0: I think it, you're almost like you want an edgy Andy Dwyer, not mm. like a modern day Chris Pratt.
1: Yeah, yeah, you could you could do that. I did have an honorable mention of um, James Martison. Oh, yeah, yeah, Cyclops from X-Men. He was in the series recently that you turned to me on the jury duty. How good is that? But I could see like someone like that look being the coach, like James Martison has a, has a good range, but where he's a nice guy trying to do right. And then if you got him to kind of switch into that dark past, I think he would be a good look for it. Who do you have for him?
0: I've gone for, you could call it stunt casting. Mm. And I would like that if people looked at it, they go, Oh, that's a, that's a good smart pick. If this was coming out and I've gone for Scott Porter who is Jason street from Friday night lights. Yep. That idea of like the high school quarterback. I think it's fun that people were like, Oh wow. That's like, they've done something here. Yep. Like are you getting that people? I think he has the look of a quarterback. I think that's important that you have the look of a quarterback. Yep. That is slightly pudgier or, you know, someone who's not, not quite at their fighting weight anymore. Like they're not a slob. Yep. But You know, you can tell they used to be an athlete, that they used to have something to them, you know, that they used to be someone. And I think he would be, he's clean cut enough for that Cali look, but also football enough for the football element.
1: That's good. That's a good one. And it's funny that you mentioned that because I had at one point I pulled in the daughter from Friday Night Lights, but she just did not fit the age range of any of these characters. But I was thinking the exact same thing you were like pull in a character or pull in an actor from another series that's closely related to this. Cause again, this is basically Friday night lights gone Gothic.
0: I think that's exactly how it's described in Goodreads is Southern noir meets Friday night lights. And I think that's how, so I heard about this book from the Nick and Rosenthal vanity project. J-R-V-P. That was one of Anthony Nick's recommendations a couple of weeks ago. And I said like, we got to read this book, see what it is. And you know, that's exactly what it is. That's how it was described. Who have you got for Should we finish the the Trent Powers family? Yeah, let's do that.
1: So for his daughter, I picked um Maud Apatow. So she's <laughs> She was on my list. Was she really? Yeah, the oldest yep. daughter of Judd Apatow and actress Leslie Mann. Most recently she was Lexi in Euphoria. I went for Iris, not Maud. I went with the older one. I just think that she has the the look and the vibe. You know, she's, mm-hmm. she's cute over hot. I mean, not to say that she's not beautiful. She's definitely beautiful, but she's got that like cute look. She's chill, but very direct, more mature for her age. I could definitely see her with a hippie LA-esque look kind of making some of these more bold actions, you know, cause yep. it's, the character herself is not very it's not like she has attitude or she's extreme. She's almost like makes bold decisions, but is very cavalier about it as well. And I think that Maud Apatow would be be
0: good for that. Yeah, I think that's um, that's a really good call. I have in my notes here, any Cali looking girl. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I I said Iris Apatow was on the list. I looked at um, the girl who plays the hippie girl in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yep. Wasn't quite the right vibe, but it was sort of like that, Callie free spirit. I ended up going for Lizzie green, who is uh, probably best known according to Wikipedia as Dawn Harper in the Nickelodeon sitcom, Nikki, Ricky, Dicky, and Dawn, the titular Dawn. Oh yeah. And she was also Sophie Dixon in the ABC family drama, a million little things. I felt she had that, like, like, I think this girl needs to look Callie. Like she needs to look different to all the other girls. And like at the school, she might be the only natural blonde sort of thing.
1: No, I think that that's a good pick. That's a um, yeah, that's a really good pick. Yeah, I was also thinking. I for some reason when I pictured her, because like Billy Lowe, yeah, like I never pictured the the daughter as like hot or like smoking or like guys want to get with her. It just kind of always seemed like she was like under the radar because Billy isn't even really attracted to her right in the beginning. No, and as he gets to know her you can see that attraction growing. Again, he doesn't do anything with it, but that's really the character, I
0: think. I was picturing a teenage version of Janice from The Muppets. <laughs> nice. <laughs> like, you know, that, that proper Kelly hippie where you're like, I'm not sure if you're shaving your armpits or not. So that's who I had. Who did you have for the mum? Marley Powers. Marley Powers. This
1: one I struggled with because honestly, I don't feel that the mom had too much depth to it. To describe the mom, essentially, you explained the situation earlier where Coach Powers, as as a teenager, came to live with his coach and basically hooked up with his now wife. They had a baby, they mm-hmm. had a shotgun wedding. And she essentially, I feel, doesn't really have much respect for her husband. I feel that she's kind of got a bit of an attitude. And it's always that thing where she's talking about her dad. Oh, dad, yep. what would daddy do? And she's calling her dad and her dad still makes the decision in, in her lives. And I've met women like this, you know, I've, I've met guys like this, but people that just like, still like just their parents, their parents kind of control their lives. I'm like, you're a grown adult, man. I don't understand yep. it. I went with someone that I thought was pretty, um, had a sense of class, but can turn on the attitude. I was thinking Jessica Biel.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I went with a friend of the show, Emily DeRaven.
1: Ooh,
0: oh, love Emily DeRaven. So again <laughs> she had that Cali look. I think I think she needs to be blonde. I think she needs to be sort of good looking, but again like not quite not quite at at her peak. I know that's a horrible thing to say about someone. Yep. Good looking, but also not out, outstandingly good looking. She needs an edge to her. Yep. You know, Blake Lively could easily do the same thing.
1: I had um, Kate Hudson is one of my honorable mentions who I feel kind of falls into that Cali look, maybe a little too nice.
0: That was the, uh, I basically I saw her name on the list that I was looking at. I was like, you know what? She's come up on the show before. We'll, we'll have her. And then who did you have for uh, Tina and Travis Rodney?
1: So for Travis Rodney, I went with, um, I'm going to screw up his name, but it's um, John Bernthal. So, oh yeah, yeah, you know who he is. Okay, so uh, yep. Shane from Walking Dead, essentially, or the Punisher from the Netflix series. He's a yep. uh,
0: oh, good pick, yeah. Yeah,
1: basically, I think Shane is that role. You know, Shane from Walking Dead, like you know, highly volatile Southern dude with an attitude. John Bernthal is from Maryland. Shout out, born born resident. <laughs> but he just he does such a good role in those with his attitude and his quick to anger i just really saw the abusive stepdad in that light i went
0: in a very different direction with it and this possibly happened last time we talked about this have you seen natural born killers i have rodney dangerfield as the abusive father in that is incredible yep he's so terrifying and he's Like there's a menace to him. That was the kind of vibe I was looking for. Mm. And part of that might be that the fact the guy's surname is Rodney. But I wanted someone who was like a bit of a Fred Durst energy in this. Like he's kind of a thug, but he's probably not really. Like Billy beats the shit out of him when he's finally pushed too far. So you want someone who's-
1: Give me little bit break.
0: (laughs) Basically like a little bit pudgy- who wants to be a tough man, who probably thinks he's probably thinks he's got a bit more going for him than he really has. Agreed. And I went down that same Rodney Dangerfield route with someone you might not expect. And there's probably a reason why this guy
1: is on my mind. I went with Tim Robinson. Right on. That's all. It's a direction I would not expect. I mean, love Tim Robinson.
0: <laughs> he's a guy that can go big. Yep. Obviously, and like lose his shit in like a. I think he could do it in a menacing way while still like keeping that over the topness to it. I think it probably gives him menace. He's not in the greatest shape of his life. I mean, he's got his rash vest off when he's uh, on that zip line, <laughs> and I th- I think that's it. Is like he would be able to do the menace with the I guess the co- it's not a funny role necessarily but I think he probably thinks he's funny.
1: That is very interesting. I can see it now that you've painted that picture of it. You know, I kind of went with someone that's a little more of a threat, but when I was reading the book, you know, I didn't really think of the person as a tough guy. It's like that balance between someone who's, honestly, you said Fred Durst. I think that that would be a great character for the role. Like, honestly, straight up Fred Durst, you know? Because he did it all for the nookie. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> I think on. Fred's a little bit old now, but yeah, I, I do think that yep. like at late thirties, early forties, Fred Durst is yep. like, he's that scumbag type. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's a, a Fred Durst of a, of yesteryear. Yep. Of Durst a year.
1: And that's interesting.
0: Cause I, and then Wes Ball as Billy. Yeah,
1: For Mama Lowe, I had kind of the same idea. Like, I think that she might be a little too old for this, but I think, Going back to Natural Born Killers, Juliette Lewis, I think her now, and I guess now she's in her 50s, but I mean, maybe rewind her. I I think she could maybe even still pull it off as she is. I mean, if you've been watching Yellow Jackets, which I have, which is really weird, like she pulls off this kind of white, white trash, (laughs) destroyed human very, very well. And that's kind of the look I was thinking, like someone who cares, but also life is just steamrolled. So that's who I put down for that. And I have some alternatives to that, but that's really the look I was going for when I was reading it.
0: I think that's a really interesting pick. I sort of thought about this one in in two directions. And that's you either go the really scrawny sort of meth looking trailer trash. Yep. Or you go the eats a lot of processed food, not in great shape trailer trash. Mm. And you know there's no real way to say this in any nice way. I thought about Chrissy Metz mm. from This Is Us. I think she could do that mum who's kind of doing everything and like trying to get through life and Yeah. I ended up going a different way with it. I think this person would give the role some some gravitas. She's an Oscar winner. I think you need a name to put on the posters. That's Anna Paquin. Oh, uh, nice. Rogue from X-Men. You know she's done Southern as Rogue, she's done Southern in True Blood, uh, which is Southern Gothic in and of itself. I think she could easily do Trailer Park. I think she can do Faded Beauty quite well. Yeah. Uh, Because, you know, you get the impression that this woman's not especially good looking anymore, but, you know, she might've been a cheerleader in high school and the the years have been tough on her.
1: A hundred percent. Yeah, that's exactly how they paint her. Was attractive in high school and then just went down the wrong path. I think that's a just bullseye hit with Anna Paquin. I, I think that that is an excellent cast.
0: And I think the other thing about this role is you kind of need someone who's comfortable being dirty. It's like a yep. Frances McDermott role, but she's too old for it.
1: Yeah, I was thinking. You know, at one point, I don't know why, but Carrie Russell popped into my head. Yep, most famous for Felicity and and the Americans, Seven Degrees of Separation. She was in the Rise of Skywalker. So. That's another seven degrees there. I I think that she can handle, obviously, the Southern thing probably a little too good-looking for the role. I mean, not to insult the other people, but I I think that she could probably trash it up a little bit. But I think we need more of your, like, everyday, everyday woman for the role. Same with the dad. You need, like, the everyday, all of these characters, really. They're all very blue-collar person next door kind of situation that's hard to cast yeah. for in hollywood it is.
0: yeah you know you can't put jesse plemons in every role
1: yeah yeah <laughs> zendaya we should somehow figure out how to put her in this since she's in everything but
0: just if i could remember any other character's name <laughs> Yeah.
1: any other characters zendaya welcome aboard
0: i think on that note do you want to uh, tell the good people where they can find you
1: Sure. If you want to find me on social media at Twitter, you can find me at Justin underscore B. And if you want to see some web and design work or need some web and design work, go to Justin B.com.
0: As always, you can get in touch with the podcast at screen you later at gmail.com. You can follow us on Instagram at screenpasspodcast. Follow me on Instagram. Uh, you can't follow me on Instagram because I have a private profile. Do not follow me on Instagram. Follow me on Twitter at she and solo. You can follow me on TikTok at she and solo. And you can, of course, follow 32bit on Twitter. That's the number 30, T-W-O-B-I-T. And until next time...
1: I'm going to end with a quote from the book Don't Know Tough by Eli Craner. Billy Lowe. The mind's weak, till it all kinds of things, but the body, bone, blood, and muscle, those things don't lie. Neither does screen you later. Pissed!